Alright everyone, welcome back to the Kasama Advocacy Update Podcast. I am Logan, joined today by Alex Clark himself. How are we doing, Alex? Hanging in there. How are you doing? Hanging in there. Yeah, I feel you. I feel you. Uh, before we get into this, do you want to talk about daylight savings time? Do you want to rant about that yet? <laughs> I think it's absolutely horrible. It is as, as long as I have been aware of daylight savings like as an adult even like a young adult it it messes me up every year Mm -hmm. it takes a week to get over it and now i finally have like a a frame of reference for what that feeling is um it it is mandatory stay-at-home jet lag that's what it is there there is no i don't believe there is any benefit to continue doing daylight savings time. Arizona, the state of Arizona agrees with me. Yeah, the entire state. (laughs) For many years, uh, there are other areas in the United States that don't do daylight savings time. I think um, there are, there are, the first thing I did this morning was use our tracking software to see how many pieces of legislation are out there addressing daylight savings time. Um, and I created a watch list for it because I'm just curious. Um, but, uh, yeah, there's, there's quite a few, um, doesn't surprise me. And, and of course there's federal legislation, anybody who follows this topic, (laughs) um, probably saw Marco Rubio, uh, in the news promoting a bill. Um, what is it? The protect sun, protect sunshine. What is it? Sunshine Protection Act of 2021. Um, the House. So this would legalize uh, suntan lotion and <laughs> SPF 50, because <laughs> that's yeah. what that bill sounds like. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, this would um, actually sort of set it and forget it on daylight savings time. Yeah. Um, so it, essentially, the way that it, this would do this is um, we switch to daylight savings time and just never go back. Uh, which is totally not how I think this should be done. But um, uh, I, I, there is something very unnatural to me about sunlight at nine o'clock at night. Yeah. Um, you know, there are people that go to bed at eight thirty. It just yeah. that's just how that's people do that, and and so it's screwing with their um, their internal clock as well. Um, yeah, but, you know, there's a lot of research into daylight savings time and, and how this, you know, there is, I believe, a noticeable increase in car crashes, workplace accidents, um, uh, cardiovascular issues. Um, I, I don't even know. I mean, do we need to get in, in mental health? People are losing an hour of sleep. It's a big deal. And, you know, we were talking before we came on, you know, you like to sleep in on the weekends. Well, I used to love to sleep, sleep in on the weekends as well. Um, but at some point I had heard that sleeping in just an extra hour on the weekends is like taking a round trip to London and, and, and going through that time, just like a five or six hour time change. Right. Um, so just going, like going, flying to London, I think spending the night or like spending the weekend in London and then coming home is the, it causes the same effect on your body or a very similar effect as, um, you know, sleeping in for an extra hour on the weekend. So oh, don't tell me that. Cause I love sleeping in that extra I, hour on Sundays so much. Yeah, no, I mean, Hey, look, like I'm a big proponent of like, listen to your body. If your body says differently and you feel great sleeping in for an hour on Sunday, then 
then you feel great. This is the one Sunday that's an exception. It was just today. Today was the exception to that. And main it's, I actually woke up feeling pretty good. Uh, It was less of a body thing for me today as it was. um, Oh, I just realized what time it was. And I have things that need to be done in 15 minutes, as opposed to the hour and 15 minutes that I thought I had because I hadn't set my clocks back yet. So this morning when I'm making coffee out in the kitchen and my stove says, you know, hey, it's 930. I'm like, sweet, it's 930. I don't have things going on until 11. I got all this time to plan out these things I'm going to do and get my shower and get around. And then here I am scrolling through Twitter on my phone, you know, and then I notice the time on my phone and it's like 1040. And, you know, I have shows, I have things I'm doing at 11 a.m. And I'm now I'm rushing and threw my whole day off, my whole mood off. Everything just went to hell. But uh, yeah, you know, it's I think for a lot of people, though, it's the lack of sleep. See, my lack of sleep is Monday through Saturday. Right. That's that's just six days a week for me. So but yeah, daylight savings time really messed me up today. I don't have the jet lag, though, as much as you do. Yeah, well, it's not so bad today. I mean, I actually I accidentally followed the, the 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 advice about how to deal with the time change, and it, it I I went to bed at eleven thirty last night, which is an hour hour and a half earlier than I normally do. So I should not be so bitter about this, but I am. My body is still a little screwed up from the time change. I didn't sleep in. I got up at you know seven o'clock like I normally do. Um, actually, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> I got up. If the clocks had stayed the same, I got up at the same time. But I, I got up at like seven forty-five, which is six forty-five, which is what I've been waking up at, like before my alarm this past week. Um, but yeah, whatever. I, you know, it's it's just the thing about it. The thing that upsets me so much is that you know, and and why any of this is relevant to our podcast is that this is actually, I think, a massive public health issue. And I don't think it matters which way you want to look at it. If you want to take an economic angle to this, productivity suffers following the time changes. Um, If you want to take a public health angle, it's just like I said, with, you know, people experiencing cardiovascular incidents or, you know, increased workplace accidents and people, you know, not being able to focus on on, uh, operating heavy machinery, such as a four-door sedan. You know, those those things, I think, justify having a serious conversation about doing away with daylight savings time. Um, and my thought is just stick with standard time. It's, you know, yeah, it's fine. I, it needs to get dark at a decent hour and the sun needs to come up at a decent hour. Um, you know, it doesn't do any I don't think there's any benefit to the agricultural um, sector. You know, the sunlight, we don't actually because we change our clocks, we don't actually get more sunlight. The sun does what the sun does. It doesn't care right. what humans think. It doesn't care what it says on your clock. Um, you get X amount of hours of sun every day, depending on the day. Doesn't matter what your clock says. Um, and and you know the rest of it is you know it's it's 2021. We've got all of this technology. We have all of this artificial lighting. You know if you if you you know if you want to go around and collect bugs take a flashlight with you. I take, go, go hunt some insects in the inner city, whatever, man. Like it doesn't, you, you, there's just no benefit here. And I think um, if there is anything that we could easily change that would improve people's lives, just do away with daylight savings. Um, and and it, this just should not be a debate. This should not be a bill that comes up and tries and fails. This of all years should be the year to do it. 
I've heard all sorts of different, I don't know the official like story behind daylight savings time because I've read a lot of different reason reasons like why daylight savings time exists. Have, do you, do you have an idea? So, like I've heard things about like consumer uh, spending, productivity, all sorts of things like that. These are the reasons why we created daylight savings time. The way I remember it, and, and I, I may have this whole thing jumbled up in my head, but um, you know, the, I don't remember the guy's name, but he was, uh, I don't know if he was an entomologist or if, if bug collecting was just his hobby. That's why I brought up the example of collecting bugs. He wanted extra daytime to go out and collect bugs. Um, cool. And, and so we're he, all suffering for this man's, you know, caterpillar collection. <laughs> well, I mean, we're suffering for science back in the day when we were not, you know, we didn't have things like light pollution. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, we, we weren't surrounded by artificial light at night. Um, you know, it, it kind of made sense. And I, I guess you sell it as like by moving the clocks, you're giving people this extra hour of daylight and the, you can increase productivity. Um, but that all changes with the advent of, you know, the electric light and, and, and the industrial revolution and, and, you know, and now with, with, you know, all of the advanced technology that we have in our literally have in our pockets, um, you know, the time change is just, it's just a relic. It doesn't really provide any benefit as far as yeah. I have heard. Um, and, and there's nobody out there, you know, whenever we see these things kind of pop up and all these, I think people are just gotten kind of cynical about it, but I don't recall, maybe it's just because I'm, you know, stuck in my own confirmation bias, but like, I, I don't think I've seen anybody give a full throated endorsement of keeping daylight savings time around. Like, Really, at this point, I think the only argument is like, well, it's kind of a big inconvenience for people that have to reprogram things like, no, you know, I, I mean, the wizards at Apple and Microsoft and whatever, like they managed to come up with the code that automatically changes the clock on my computer and my phone. I'm pretty sure they can they just that. remove that. I, I mean, they, Apple I mean, could patch this in like a day. You know? Yeah, I mean, the, the geniuses at the programming department, can I, they've probably already got it like, oh, yeah, five minutes and we send the update out to a million users and, and we're fine. Yeah, Daylight savings time is gone. No one yeah. has to worry. It about just it. feels so. like it's one of those like it's just like a tradition that we've kept around for the sake of tradition. That's what it feels like at this point. It doesn't feel like it's anything useful or beneficial to us. It's just like, well, it's tradition. So yeah. we just keep doing it. Yeah. And I think it's, I, well, you know, we did have one change, I think, uh, during the Bush administration, Bush two. Um, and, uh, that was, I think they extended the, like the calendar days. Uh, so daylight savings time is, is longer now, um, by like maybe a week or something. I can't remember. Um, so, you know, it is, it is changeable. It's, we're not totally rigid in our, uh, honoring of tradition here. Um, but you know, that, I think that raises another point. Like there's a lot of, um, there's, there's this history when we look at certain policies and, um, you know, I think we'll get into this a little bit later when we talk about some things, but, you know, as far as America goes and our treatment of certain of other issues, um, a lot of our, our attitudes and perceptions about them are, you know, we're stuck on tradition. Yeah. Uh, and, and so, um, yeah, if, you know, maybe, 
maybe I can make this argument here that, you know, doing away with daylight savings time is, is part of sort of chipping away at that reliance on antiquated ways of looking at the world. Yeah. Um, and so that's why we have spent 10 minutes talking about it. Yeah, I think we're going to move on, everybody. I, I, we, you know, it's daylight savings time now. It affected both Alex and I this morning uh, differently in different ways. And I'm sure that it has affected plenty of people and will for the rest of this week. Uh, so I wanted to have just, you know, a brief little, <laughs> a brief little powwow on daylight savings time, but yeah, we can definitely, we can definitely trudge forth. Um, so yeah, we're just gonna, we're, we're gonna get right into it now that we're, uh, now that we're done saving sunlight. Um, Alex calls to action that we have up and out in the world on the interwebs going on. Yes, so right the following items have nothing to do got. with the, your clock or the sun. I mean, unless you haven't changed your set, your clock settings back and you missed your uh, hearing that you yeah. were supposed to call into by an hour, you know, maybe, maybe that yeah, well, Monday will be interesting <laughs> for a lot of people. I'm sure um, it used to be more interesting when, when we didn't have smartphones that automatically updated the time. Um, so um, yeah. Yeah, no, I call into work an hour late, everything, you know? missing appointments. Um, so uh, we'll go right to Rhode Island. Um, there is a hearing on Monday for Rhode Island. Uh, this is a, it's an anti-preemption bill. Um, uh, we are opposed to this, this piece of legislation. It's H5633. And what this would do, when I say anti-preemption, I say that just because I, I don't have a better way of, of saying it, but for those who, who maybe uh, don't understand the term, preemption is uh, basically a higher level of government will preempt lower levels of government from making certain policies that go above and beyond that higher government's standards. Um, so the best example that anybody following tobacco policy would understand is uh, the FDA regulation has, uh, for the most part, preemption over states and local governments um, enacting things like product standards or manufacturing standards. Um, but they are free to do things like raise the minimum sales age, um, establish policies about where products can be sold. Um, those, those are all things that, that's fair game for states and municipalities. Um, but when it comes to the products themselves, it, some people may remember, so when New York um, when, um, when Grabby Hands Cuomo tried to do a flavor ban, he tried to do it through, uh, the public health department, uh, and or the New York department of health. Uh, and they would have been establishing through that rule. I, I don't even remember if we got a draft rule out of it, but, um, through the rule, uh, the department of health would have been enacting a product standard to regulate flavors off the marketplace. Uh, and so that's that was the big reason why that got repealed was because that's just an instant lawsuit. They're they're stepping outside of their authority in doing product standard. Um, and so now, you know, once it was taken up by the was it actually taken up by the legislature, it got crammed down everybody's throat through the budget process. But um, that regulated what products could be sold. It didn't approach it from a standards perspective. Just flavors aren't allowed to be sold in New York unless they have a PMTA. Um, so, uh, 
preemption for Rhode, for Rhode Island and, and what we'll see in other states is, um, you know, right now, uh, and the, the courts have backed this up, um, municipalities cannot sort of decide their own um, ordinances if, uh, dictating, you know, sales and use of tobacco products. Um, so there was, and, and I forget the, it's a smaller town in Rhode Island, um, but they had enacted a flavor ban and the state Supreme Court overturned it. Um, and, and the state Supreme Court concluded that this is a matter of statewide concern. Uh, and therefore the implication is it's best handled by the state legislature. Um, and, and we agree with that. Um, I am not a huge, like concentrating power in the executive or concentrating power at the biggest um, uh, body of government kind of person. Um, but, uh, in this case, I think, you know, there's there, the observation is that local governments are not necessarily equipped to do all of the due diligence and have that deliberative conversation or debate about, uh, a, a public health type of policy. Um, and, and I, I think that actually, there's some wiggle room there. I don't like to paint these things with a broad brush, um, but with regard to tobacco policy, and I, I think generally substance use uh, type policy, um, uh, it, 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 I think deserves a lot more deliberation than what a city council is going to provide. Um, and in the fact that, you yeah, know, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, you're talking about small municipalities or not small, but geographically speaking. And so if you have this, especially in a, in a state like Rhode Island, if you have a patchwork of regulation across a state like Rhode Island, I, I'm pretty sure you can fit like, you can fit three or four Rhode Islands inside of Vermont and Vermont's a very small state. Um, you know, you you really do have a situation where someone can just hop across the border and go buy whatever they're looking for that they can't buy in their city. So uh, it, it's it's an inconvenience and it's it's a safety issue for people. You're forcing people to travel, um, which is exposing them to more risk. Uh, you're forcing them to spend more money on that travel uh, and. You know the the tobacco control reaction. I think to that criticism is like, well, you know, then maybe they just shouldn't use nicotine. Um, and if that perspective worked for anything, we would live in a completely different world. Yeah. Thanks, Nancy Reagan. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Tough love is that's yeah is bullshit when it comes to this. Not love. Um, so, <laughs> um, yeah, Casa uh, agrees. This is something that should be handled. Uh, by the state legislature, um, I would really prefer people to just defer. I can't even get this out without cringing, but you know, I want to say defer to the FDA. But in a situation like this, I would agree with that. Like the FDA is, they're handling. Yeah. <laughs> I don't. Again, I'm cringing right now trying to trying to formulate the sentence, but they're creating these these standards, these, uh, these regulations around these products, hopefully based on scientific evidence that they are doing their due diligence on. Again, hopefully, I would hope so. That's what, the, that's what FDA tobacco should be doing right now. But 
your local city or even your state legislature, uh, you know, those, especially like a city council, like you talked about, they're not going to know even a quarter of what they need to know in order to. And I mean, in all fairness, you know, your average state legislator doesn't know either. It's just that this, the state has access to more and better resources than uh, City Hall. Um, sure. You know, City Hall is great for things yeah. like making sure that potholes get filled, that you know that infrastructure is taken care of, and that the the, the checkbook is balanced, um, and you know taking care of you know parks and green spaces and revitalization projects and stuff like that. But these sort of really intense public health interventions. Um, I, I think require a, a lot more uh, deliberation and uh, it, it's just, it's city councils can steamroll stuff through almost under the cover of darkness. Um, you know, even in states with like sunshine laws, like it's, it's really easy to lose track of stuff at the local level. Um, and I say this again and again, there's 39,000 local governments in, in the United States. Um, there is no, there's no person, there's no people that are tracking all of that stuff. And so if you are on the side of promoting uh, very restrictive legislation, doing it at the local level is something that they, you will use to your advantage. Um, this is stuff that will get a, a, yeah. a tiny mention in the local paper. Um, I remember when Tobacco 21 passed in Union City, New Jersey, I didn't find it until a month later. And there was, there was, I don't think anybody spoke in support or opposition to the ordinance. Um, either they saw the writing on the wall and that New Jersey was going to do it anyway, or they just didn't know about it. Um, you know, that is a tool, that lack of notification uh, is, is something that can be used to your advantage if you want to get controversial legislation passed. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I, I have to say, like, as I am saying all of this, I do recognize that, um, you know, that innovative um, strategies for addressing substance use disorder, uh, like allowing for, uh, I don't even know if this is the right way to say it, but safer injection or supervised injection sites, um, you know, a lot of the harm reduction stuff that's out there. Uh, you know, meeting people, you know, meeting people where they're at with safe drug supply or, um, you know, medical attention or, or whatever they need. Those are policies that kind of do have to be passed at the local level. Um, I, I have to say, you know, this is one of the reasons why I am personally so conflicted about this, because I don't want to paint this with the broad brush and say that, like, well, municipalities just have no place making this public health regulation. Because on the other side, there are good things that are happening at the local level um, that, that I'm, I'm not critical of. I think that um, you know, if you were to go to the state legislature and try to pass a statewide uh, you know, safe consumption site type of bill, uh, I don't think, I, I think it would take a lot longer for those changes, those very necessary changes to happen. So if, you know, on that front, you have to work with city leaders, you have to work at the local level, uh, you know, right down to the neighborhood. Uh, and so it's, it's a complicated issue, but I think specific to tobacco policy, um, 
I just I just don't want to see activists taking advantage of city councils uh, who are, um, you know, they're just not they're just not equipped for this. Uh, think about, you know, we say the same thing about about yeah. state legislatures, yeah. state legislators, depending on the state. Uh, you know, city council members are small business owners. They're 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 just locals. I mean, they they don't necessarily have to have any special qualifications to sit on the city council. Um, they are simply they're sort of at the mercy of their advisors and and, and the professionals they're surrounded with. Um, you know, giving them advice about public health issues, uh, and you know, really at the end of the day, they're just as susceptible to kind of the emotional hooks that the rest of us are. And if you want to scare the willies out of a city council member, well, just show them children using, you know, fruity flavored vape sauce. You know, one of the extra cringy things about saying things like defer to the FDA is I think within the past few days, they've, they've uh, been promoting a real cost campaign again. And uh, one of the images that went around, I think you and a bunch of other people responded to it was, uh, the whole thing about like, do you know that, you know, e-cigarettes expose you to formaldehyde, um, you know, without context. It's, it's programming designed as some sort of resource tool. And it's not, it's, it's, it's just continuing to mislead people. And, and I think that uh, the U.S. government should stop funding scared straight campaigns because they are verifiably not all that productive. I would dare the government. <laughs> to stop funding these programs. <laughs> Actually, I, you know, I think I think this might all come from um, CTP user fees. That's the Center for Tobacco Products. So yeah. um, for those who don't know, the Center for Tobacco Products is entirely funded by user fees, which means that tobacco companies and vapor companies um, are, are paying for the real cost campaign and they have no choice. Uh, yeah, no choice, they, no there, say. There's no, there's no vote. Uh, I guess, you know, uh, FDA may have to justify the expenses or provide some sort of report, but it's not like Congress can say, we're not giving you funding because tobacco companies are already required to pay it. Um, and and that, that goes for any, any tobacco or nicotine company that has to deal with FDA. You have to pay user fees. Um, yeah. All right. So, we, we really, we, sorry, Jim, apologies to Jim. We kind of derailed there a little bit, but we'll get back to, uh, we'll get back to these calls to action. Uh, it, it, it's so, all, it, it's all relevant. And I, it's all relevant. Absolutely. I, I, in advance, appreciate everybody's patience for listening to me kind of work through this preemption thing. Um, I know there's some folks that are probably just like, whatever, man, just, you know, say vaping, but you know, it's, it's bigger than just vaping. I think we have to acknowledge that. And I will say, um, there is an excellent blog post on um, uh, Carl Phillips, who used to be on our board of directors, uh, one of the very early proponents of tobacco harm reduction um, before vaping was a thing. Um, uh, he wrote a post about this several years ago, and I think updated it recently. So it's from 2019. Um, and I, let me, I got the link here. So his website is anti-THRLies and anti-THRLies.com, all one word. Uh, and uh, the title of the piece is The Folly of Federalism for Vaping Policy. Um, and I encourage people to read it. Um, Carl, Carl does not write for your average newspaper reader. So be prepared for that. 
Um, but he he doesn't pull any punches and thinks thinks things through on his blog posts. Uh, and you can sort of see his his process here. And and I, I very much appreciate that. And um, it's good to have his brain uh, working through this and, and uh, providing some perspective. So I definitely want to uh, I want to make sure that we link to that right in the SoundCloud description for people alongside this blog post and Kassaz site and all the things that we link to. I'll make sure that we get uh, uh, Carl's post there and his blog mentioned right in the description. So you guys can go check that out. Um, that was what anti THR lies.com. Yep. Yeah. For everybody listening. But again, if you're looking to quick access right to it, I'll make sure that's in the SoundCloud description for everybody. Yeah. So um, again, that was for Rhode Island uh, H5633. There's a hearing on Monday at 3 p.m. Um, if you would like to submit written testimony, uh, you can do that through Rhode Island's. Uh, uh, you can do that up until um, probably noon. I can't remember the cutoff um, for the flavor ban bill or for the the. Re repealing the flavor ban, um, the, the deadlines were different. 11 a.m. the day of the hearing for speaking and then 3 p.m. the day of for written testimony because the hearing wasn't until six o'clock at night. Um, so maybe if you wanna submit written testimony, get it in by noon. Um, again, also it's something important uh, for the flavor ban here, or the, the repealing the flavor ban hearing, uh, this was something that was promoted on social media and um, I think a lot of people sort of misunderstood the instructions. Uh, Rhode Island has a problem with this because of the way that they're doing their hearings. Um, but uh, essentially what happens is you sign up to speak. Uh, there's a form for speaking and then there's a process for submitting your, your written testimony. And a lot of people I think went to the form for speaking thinking that they were just lodging their support or opposition for the bill not not realizing that they were also signing up that form is only for signing up to speak so there were hundreds hundreds of people not just on the vaping bill but on a lot of bills that i think thought they were just expressing an opinion but now the right. committee has to call them someone thinking oh yeah i oppose this i'll just fill out my name my number my right. information that's my opposition and they went about the rest of their day yeah so if you're in rhode island just know that that is not an option if you want to send in written testimony that simply says in one sentence i am opposed to this bill or i support this bill that is totally fair game but you don't need to fill out a form to do that um, we will link to the agenda uh, for monday's meeting uh, in, in our, it, you should find that in, in the little blurbs underneath the, the sound wave thing. Um, and, and so you can find all the information at the bottom of the agenda as to where you send your written testimony. Um, yeah. And that actually reminds me, we'll get to that. <laughs> I'm talking to myself here. Um, there's an Illinois bill that we put something out for yesterday. Um, and that's an indoor vaping ban. Um, but before that, I will carry on to carry the theme of, of uh, preemption uh, to Montana. Um, HB 137, I believe is coming up. Uh, I don't know, does it have a hearing coming up? 
Uh, yes, on the 16th, which is Tuesday. What? Wait. Did the days change too? <laughs> nope. Okay, the 16th is still a Tuesday. It um, is still Tuesday. <clears throat> so uh, the business, uh, the, the Senate Business, Labor, and Economic Affairs Committee will be um, looking at this. And I think this um, creates preemption in Montana, uh, which would um, prohibit local governments from making laws about tobacco regulations. Um, sorry if I'm being a little bit, little bit too broad there, um, but uh, this, is, this is sort of the uh, opposite of what's happening in Rhode Island. Rhode Island is trying to, um, the bill that, that we're talking about, 5633, is trying to end preemption, or it's it just specifically for tobacco products. Uh, in Montana, it's trying to create preemption for tobacco products. Um, so uh, if you're in Montana, H-137, the, uh, the bill that they, or the, the, the statute that they are um, amending here, trying to, to wedge in, um, regulate the sale, regulate the use and sale of cigarettes, other tobacco products and electronic delivery systems also allows local governments to do things um, like preventing persons from standing on a footwalk, sidewalk, doorstep, or in any doorway, or riding, driving, fastening, or leaving any horse or other animal or any carriage, team, or other vehicle on any footwalk, sidewalk, doorstep, or doorway within the town. It's an infrastructure thing. It's 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 about parking your horse. That's the statute oh, that they are amending. <laughs> there's also blue laws in here. Um, oh, let's gosh. see. We got. Uh, Let's see. Uh, oh, putting up and maintenance of telegraph and other wires and their appurtenances. I don't know what that word is. Um, to prevent the incident exposure of anyone bathing in any of the waters within their respective towns of city uh, against breakers of the Sabbath. Um, Sweet. So local, Jesus. local, local jurisdictions, local governments in Rhode Island can pass laws punishing people who break the Sabbath. Um, uh, you can pass laws against habitual drunkenness. What year is it? Yeah. So, well, I mean, this is probably on the books from like what the 17 or 1800s. Yeah. Um, I lived in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, and there are of course still relevant laws on the books about the speed limit at which a horse and buggy can turn a corner. Um, but of course there, I don't know if they finally repealed it, but the, the, the city had a, a no dancing on Sundays law. Uh, it, was, it was a blue law. Uh, that, that, that's, that's what blue laws are. Um, and basically they're, they're based on, um, you know, ordinances proposed in, in the Bible. Um, and so, uh, yeah, there, there was a, a the, the, the club in Lancaster City got, the, well, not, not the club, but the, the one that most people know. Um, I think they got into some trouble because, um, the city under certain leadership decided to start enforcing the no dancing on Sundays rule. And so they shut down the all ages shows on Sundays because, you know, there's dancing and that, that, that wakes up the devil. So uh, the idea of church and state doesn't apply to local government. I'm well, I guess not. 
we can separate church and state, but you can't separate church and Lancaster is the idea. Yeah. And well, apparently parts of Rhode Island, too. So apparently parts of Rhode Island. But yeah, just to give you an idea of like how creative the anti-tobacco people are, um, they're trying to wedge this law in with a bunch of other laws that are or a bunch of other standards that are based on superstition and religious beliefs. Um, yeah. So. By that, that in and of itself is a pretty good commentary on how useless this is and how it should be opposed because um, because we don't live in those times anymore. I don't light my house yeah. with candles uh, and, and I don't have to make sure that my wife has her ankles covered before she goes out. Um, yeah, and I, I feel like you and I should both be dancing right now on this Sunday in spite of this because, <laughs> <laughs> damn it, <laughs> I feel like we should be allowed to dance on Sundays. If only daylight savings time hadn't socked my energy. I'd be... <laughs> yes. <laughs> a little um, around, a little, a little bit, there you go. A See, the, the more you dance, the more you might get, you know, your blood flow going, your heart rate up, and then maybe that jet lag. So maybe, maybe that'll help. And maybe I'll get a visit from the devil. And you might get a, you, there's a pretty good chance, Alex, that you're going to get a visit from the devil. That's uh, that's very. I think that's likely. I think it's more of a matter of time at this point. Well, we'll cross that bridge and get there. <laughs> so anyway, um, worry, back, he's visited me plenty. Back to the back to the the twenty first century. Yes, that's where we are. That's where we are. Back to the twenty first century, um, and and again another um, New England state, um, Connecticut is looking at a flavor ban. Uh, this is, there are, so you've got two minute, two municipalities in Connecticut and the state legislature looking at flavor bans. Um, I believe Bridgeport in Hartford. Um, I don't know that Bridgeport has moved all that much. They may be looking to see what the state does or the state might be looking to see what Bridgeport does. Um, I think Hartford's flavor ban moved along. I don't know where it's at, I apologize. Um, but the, the flavor ban has now moved through uh, the public health committee in the House in Connecticut and will be going to a full uh, going to a vote by, by the full House um, soon. Uh, we don't have anything up about this on our website yet. Uh, and just to kind of make it clear, um, there is a degree of collaboration that we like to um, be involved in. Uh, with state uh, trade association people. Uh, it's, it's the businesses that are going to be able to afford the lobbyists. And um, to some extent, we're, we are sort of at their mercy and understanding when is the best time to engage. Um, something really important to, to remember about the, type, the digital advocacy that we do, uh, it's like any other kind of email list or email campaign you really only get kind of one, one and a half shots at this. The, the first email blast that you send out is going to have the most response. And if you want to produce that wave of participation on a particular issue, the timing really matters. Um, I don't want to send out, you know, I don't want to put up a, a, an email or Twitter or phone call campaign as bills get introduced because that's when we'll get that volley of, 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 of messages going to lawmakers, a huge wave of, of messages. 
And then a month later, when the bill comes up for committee, um, those people are gone. They've already said their piece and it, it doesn't leave, it, it doesn't <clears throat> create an impression in lawmakers' minds when we need them to be thinking about the opposition to a particular bill. So the way we say it is we're keeping our powder dry for the right time um, and, uh, you know, going, getting people to contact their, their officials uh, before a House vote may be that time. I'm not sure. I'm waiting for feedback from the folks who are actually on the ground. Um, all of that having been said, one of the things that we're, we're trying or, or sort of looking at doing going forward is um, instead of a call to action post, to sort of have an informational post about the legislation that we're tracking. Uh, and of course, a, a, a resource for how the tool that you can use to find your lawmakers and contact them. Uh, I think most states have some sort of find my legislator page. Um, and so that's, that's what we would be linking to. So um, I, I feel like I've partially committed myself to doing something uh, for, for this Connecticut bill. Um, and and I, I will say, you know, I have everything is written. I just need I just need the signal to go. Um, right. And so that's right. And that's, like you said, you know, you, you, if if we do it right when legislation is introduced, we're going to get that big wave of people, uh, you know, in Connecticut. They're they're going to send the emails out. They're going to make their calls. But then a month, two months later, whatever it is, when this bill actually comes up, your legislators have you know probably forgotten half of those conversations or those emails or whatever. And then the people, the consumers are going to look at that and go, well, I filled that out a month ago. Right. And they're just going to breeze right by it. And you've now, now at that crucial moment, when you need all of those voices, you don't have them. Right. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, timing is important. And that's why, I mean, this is not exclusive to Connecticut. You'll see this in, in other States. We get feedback from people all the time. Why haven't you done this? What's going on? Um, and it, it really is just kind of waiting for the right time. And, and, and we do refer to um, the folks who are actually on the ground um, in the state house, either physically or virtually. Um, and, and they have, you know, they can give us the temperature on, on when, when, when the goose is cooked. Um, so, or ready for basting. <laughs> yeah. And, and I just want to highlight two things really quick. A, Casa has uh, Facebook groups for every state, yep. every state. There's a lot of chatter in those groups. There's a lot of things uh, that are going to get talked about in those groups that Casa up on our site, our calls to action. We might not have those things out yet because like you said, it's not the right time. It's not, you know, we're not going to get, I don't know how else to say it, the biggest bang for our buck out of those email blasts. Um, but being involved, if you're, if you're in a state, get involved in those state groups because there's a lot of chatter and you're going to get a heads up. Um, hopefully sooner than just, you know, the CASA email itself as to what's going on. And B, it is always, always a good time to reach out to your lawmakers. Always. If you're in one of those groups and you see something come up, somebody posts something, hey, this is kind of a heads up thing, call, email. Yeah, and always I mean, a good time. You know, you, you, you mentioned getting a heads up on things. The other reason for, for having all of those state groups is so that we can also get heads up on things because I'm not reading your local paper. I'm not right. dialed into your city council. I can, you know, barely follow what's going on in mine. Um, so it's, it is important for people, you know, even if you think that we've heard about it, um, the state group is a good place to, to you know, talk about local 
look, especially local stuff um, that that's going on, and, and we may be able to to respond by getting alert an alert out. Right, because thirty nine thousand local yeah. governments. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I just wanted to make sure that we highlighted those resources, though. You know, uh, that's it's a it was a big task for CASA to create. Uh, 50 plus pages um, and groups and whatnot. And, you know, those are, they're just great resources to, uh, to utilize for, for everybody. It was a big, excuse me. It was a big task for Kristen to do. (laughs) Yeah. Kristen specifically. Thank you, Kristen, uh, for all your hard work. And Uh, because uh, that is, it's just an excellent resource, you know? So um, moving right along the uh, addition that, that uh, came in sort of, after the after the the our post our blog post the heads up alert was put out this week um, is for Illinois um, and uh, Illinois is looking at an indoor vaping ban um, which is really it's just folding vaping into the Illinois Smoke Free Air Act um, there are exemptions to this uh, you know if you can still vape in your house. Um, retail tobacco stores where more than 80% of sales are tobacco products. Um, hotels are allowed to designate up to, up to 25% of their establishment to smoking rooms, which includes vaping. Um, <clears throat> but if you vape, you know, you can do it discreetly in a hotel room and it doesn't matter. Um, uh, common smoking rooms and long-term care facilities. The Donald E. Stevens Convention Center is part of a trade show. Uh, and then there's also an exemption here for cannabis dispensing dispensaries. Um, and all of that is on our call to action. So if you live in Illinois, definitely check out our call to action for this. It's, it feels like it's been a while since we've put out something for an indoor vaping ban. Um, a lot of people might feel kind of lukewarm about this, but um, just keep in mind that private businesses are well within their authority to enforce their own anti-vaping policy. Um, and, uh, and, and certainly that's well within their right. I, I hear, I hear, I hear you. I hear people already talking about how I want to enjoy my food. I don't want to have to smell somebody's cotton candy vapor. And I get you that I, I, I totally get it. Uh, there are vapor flavors that I don't like that. I don't want to have to smell over my Caesar salad or whatever. Uh, and so, uh, if the restaurant prohibits vaping indoors, that's their choice and it totally should be. The only reason for the government to step in and do something like ban smoking, I mean, probably to me, the most credible argument for banning smoking indoors is workers, protecting workers. Workers have to be in that environment for eight, 10, 11 hours at a time. Uh, and, and they are being exposed to levels of smoke, not just from the kitchen, but from customers who might be smoking um, that can, lead to health issues. Um, I, I'm, I'm not going to go over the science with people. I don't totally know it. But to me, just looking at all of the arguments, that's probably the most credible argument. People that sit in a restaurant for 30 minutes or an hour and enjoy a meal and have to deal with secondhand smoke, um, probably not being you're not yeah, going to be your 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 risk for being even indoors in a smoky environment for 30 minutes is i, <laughs> I don't want to say non-existent but it's it's real low your yeah. your 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 risk there is 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 really low you know um i i, I think it's, yeah and i'm not a scientist either i've 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 read a lot 
on secondhand smoke on passive smoking theory. But yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it really comes down to, you know, people don't, they don't want to smell it. They don't want to see it. They want to, that that's what you do outside. You go smoke outside. I don't want to be around it. I don't, you know, and there's, there's a lot of misperceptions around secondhand smoke and thirdhand smoke and things like that, that we're not going to get into today. But I think you're right. If there is an argument to be made, uh, it's for the workers who are there eight to 10 hours a day, five days a week, um, you know, and potentially might work in that place of employment for years where uh, this kind of thing could potentially actually lead to, you know, a health problem. So, yeah. And so, um, you know, the other, the other, the rest of the, the place ban mentality, banning smoking in parks and, and, and including vaping and all of that, uh, it, 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 I think, you know, tobacco control people have maybe unknowingly or, or after leaving the fold uh, have admitted to the fact that it really isn't about protecting bystanders. It's about pressuring people who smoke to quit. Um, you know, another argument in favor of banning smoking in parks is litter. Um, you know, cigarette butts make up a significant amount of litter. It's easily solvable if you just have an education campaign about where to put your cigarette butts and how to do it without setting the trash can on fire. Uh, Illinois is looking at an indoor use ban, HB 201. This is not the first year that this has come up. Um, uh, but of course, you know, ad- activists are piling on all of the extra concerning health things that we're all talking about right now. Um, and so, um, basically, you know, this is, this is really just pressuring people to quit using nicotine. Um, and, and it, it does, this is another thing that makes smoking more attractive or, or, uh, makes vaping, uh, it, it takes away an advantage that vaping has. Yeah. I think um, that's the best way to put it. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. So um, if you are in Illinois uh, right now, this is heading to a a committee hearing. Uh, It's the Human Services Committee. And uh, the the hearing is on, I need to fix this. (laughs) So it's on the 16th, it's Tuesday the 16th. Am I, I swear, am I not, am I living in in an alternate reality? I don't understand how I keep getting the statement of, it's definitely, nope, it's, it's we on, talked about Tuesday. It's definitely happening on Tuesday. Um, so yes, it is on March 16th, Tuesday. Um, and what, what you do in Illinois is uh, you fill out a witness slip. You do not have to testify if you sign, if you fill out this witness slip. Uh, you were just registering your opposition or support of the bill. Uh, you don't even have to write a comment. Uh, it's just opposition or support or no opinion. Uh, and uh, we give a detailed step-by-step uh, instructions on how to fill out that form uh, in terms of getting everything uh, information-wise that they're asking for. And then you can make up your own mind about whether or not you support or oppose this bill. We would prefer everybody oppose it because it's a nonsense policy. Um, but uh, yeah, so check that out if you live in Illinois. Tuesday, Tuesday, March one six. Well, I'm adding another one too. There's another bill in, in Rhode Island that is this uh, preemption stuff. Um, it's S two five eight. So that would be sort of the companion bill to the House House Bill H five six three three. So that will uh, that has a hearing on the fifteenth Monday, the fifteenth, uh, in the Senate Judiciary Committee. 
I'm not looking at, oh, uh, Arc, I'm sorry, Alaska's SB45 is having another hearing. There's a really good turnout at the last hearing. Um, this is a tax bill. Uh, it also, I think I put that in, I don't know if it has a discount ban, that's just the category. Um, so it, it is a tax bill and raises the age to 21, which we expect everybody to, to do. Um, and that is on March 19th at 1.30 p.m. Be on the lookout for any updates on that. Uh, we do, I believe, have a call to action up for that. Let me just double check. Do, 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 do. That's my surfing the internet music. And here we are, Alaska, stop a vapor tax, SB 45. If you live in Alaska, get in the way of a 75% wholesale tax by telling your lawmakers no on SB 45. With that, I think that's the legislative roundup for this week. Awesome. Legislation for the week. Uh, lots of stuff going on all across the board. Lots of preemption, place bans, all sorts of terrible, terrible, discouraging legislation. So yeah, what's next? we're going to move on. Um, Alex and I were both uh, a little, you know, daylight savings time this week. We're like, oh, what do you want to do for a side topic? So what I really wanted to talk about, uh, which is here in this week's blog, and I don't know if other people have watched it, tuned into it yet, but there's a link right to the video right here um, in the Kassab blog. But this is uh, this was like kind of a mini documentary uh, that came out of Yorkshire Cancer Research in the UK. It is called Vaping Demystified. If I remember right, it's uh, I'm going to go ahead and hit play. It's 32 minutes. Uh, so it's not long. This is something you can kind of just sit down and watch while you're cooking dinner or, you know, whatever you might be doing short, sweet to the point. And I thought it was really, really well done. Um, Alex, you said you saw it. thoughts on just the video in general. I think it's an excellent video. And uh, I think, um, you know, Americans can use this. Hopefully you've got some receptive lawmakers out there. Um that can think outside of the box a little bit, at least the, the USA box, uh, and, and pay attention to the fact that, uh, first of all, this is produced by, like you said, the Yorkshire Cancer Research, um, not, a, not a tobacco company, not a vapor company. Um, and, and there's a lot of that going on in the UK where not tobacco companies are producing resources and, and information like this. Um, so yeah, I, this is great. And, and I, I think, um, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to spoil the topic, but, you know, one of the things that we were talking about is why, why don't we have this in the United States? Yeah. That was the question I was just about to ask you. And we talked about before the show is like, this is fantastic. And we need more of this. Why, why is, why are campaigns and things like this, you know, cancer research centers, why do we only get this from places like the UK? Why isn't, why don't we have factual good things about vaping coming out from American cancer researchers and, and, and institutions like this here in the United States? Yeah. And, um, you know, I think some of the answer is, um, you know, this is like we were talking earlier about tradition. Um, a lot of, the U.S. response to any kind of a substance use issue is uh, informed by our puritanical history. 
Um, yeah. You know, the Puritans. Our tradition of punishment. Yeah, and 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 cleanliness is next to godliness. Um, yeah. You know that that is part of the foundation of our society, and so that that's just that sort of ever-present underlying current underneath all all policy, I think, in the United States. Um, and the other thing is, again, continuing with, with tradition here, um, there is uh, an understandable deference to the Center, Center for Disease Control. Uh, and, and you see this now very acutely in, in how uh, responses to COVID-19 are playing out. Um, you know, it's in, it's in the best interest, I think, of uh, state and local departments of health to defer to CDC. Um, it, it, it's that added layer of credibility or, you know, being able to say to the public, yes, you know, this is an evidence-based response. We got it from the CDC. They're a science-based organization, not a political organization, depending on who the administration is. Um, and depending on what the topic is, so but they, like the they, they don't include that part. But you know, <laughs> so that's but the CDC is 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 there really to you know provide science based guidance for health departments and the public on on how to respond to issues like this. And so until the CDC changes their perspective on tobacco and generally speaking substance use. Um, or other behaviors that are traditionally viewed as deviant behavior, um, we, we, we've got what we've got, which is this puritanical approach to substance use or other public health issues. Um, because, I mean, lungs in the UK are not different than ours. No. Vaping products that are used in the UK are not different than ours. The human beings, besides... I'm accents, maybe, I don't know, yeah. uh, in the UK are not different than us here in the States. Like this is, this is just one of those things where you, I think so many people too, just kind of like, like we look to the UK because this is why, like, look at the campaigns that they're running. Look at the things that cancer research centers are putting out there. And then we look to our own public health officials and our own institutions here in the States. And we go, Really? the real cost campaign, like these are the things that we get here, you know, we get, you know, we get commercials about brain worms, yeah. you know, and, and things like this, like those are our campaigns. None of it's factual. None of it helps anyone. It doesn't prevent anything. Uh, and in, in any case, it increases curiosity uh, to the same demographic that they're trying to prevent uh, use for this is, I would just much rather see this coming out from the United States. You know, I, I think this is great coming from the UK, but I would, I would just, I'm, I'm dying to see something like this from us. I'm desperate for something like this from us. Yeah. And uh, you know, the advice to, to you and our listeners is uh, don't hold your breath. Oh, um, I know there, there are just... why my, my handle is Logan exhales. <laughs> I don't hold my breath. I just, I just let it out, man. <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, there are just mountains and mountains of resistance to moving forward on this issue. Um, and I think, you know, I, I, we kind of addressed this a little bit in our, our post about um, Cliff Douglas's letter. Um, you know, for anyone in, tobacco, in the tobacco control community to kind of break ranks and, and maybe come out and, and start producing content like this or, or uh, even speaking publicly in support of content like this, 
what they are risking is losing personal and professional relationships that they've built up over potentially decades. Uh, so there is, there is this, there is an emotional hook uh, that I think a lot of people in tobacco control are, are, are subject to uh, when it comes time for them to, to speak out about uh, all the misinformation that they're, that they're witnessing and the bad policy that's being enacted. Um, so yeah, it, I think it takes a lot of time. You know, this is, this is another stigma issue. Um, you know, coming out and saying anything that can be construed as remotely supportive of tobacco products uh, is, is stigmatized in, in tobacco control and in society. I mean, I can't tell you the, the amount of anxiety I, I, I go through when I think about going to like a, you know, a dinner party with, with neighbors or, or people who I don't interact with in, in, you know, through my job. Uh, and, you know, when, if it ever comes time for them, you know, me to answer the question, well, what do you do for a living? Um, well, I support tobacco harm reduction. I, I you know, that in inevitably oh, leads yeah. to, uh, it, it's usually good. People are, are, your average person, I think is actually curious about this. Once you take them out of the arena of, um, you know, doubling down on talking points and this and that, uh, people become less combative and they're, and they're more interested in, in, you know, what you do as a person. Um, but still, you know, there's just, there's a lot of risk. There's a lot of anxiety. Um, you know, we're seeing this in the drug harm reduction community that there's this push for people who are in positions of leadership or, you know, just, you know, have a normal nine to five job, come out and be open about the fact that you use drugs. Um, and it's, it's all about reducing the stigma. Um, so, you know, that, that, that in and of itself, not necessarily an organized campaign, but that's something it's going to take years and years for that to have an effect on, on the larger society where people are comfortable talking about these topics in the open. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I just wanted to make sure that we, we kind of, I don't know, talked about it briefly, you know, asked those questions because I think stuff like this is just, we just need more of it, but we need we need it from us yeah. uh, campaigns and things like that based around evidence, based around science and based around, uh, you know, the principles of harm reduction, where in this country, we would much rather stigmatize and do it through fear and do it through misinformation to try and, you know, prevent people from doing things. And yeah. it just doesn't work. It just right. doesn't work. You know, we have decades of it not working. When, when are we going to wake up and go, Oh, maybe this doesn't work. Yeah. <laughs> you Wait, know? There's, there's a book. I think we were talking about this offline. Do I, I think I have it. It's a, it's about, what is it? Just say maybe. Oh no, I don't, I don't have that book. I think, I don't, I don't think we talked about it. Ooh, Alex is going to go get the book. Oh no, it's uh, I got it. It's, it's this one uh, by, by uh, Dr. Susie Gage. Just, oh, say why to drugs. Say why yeah. to drugs. Yeah. Yeah. Say why to drugs. It's a fantastic. I'm going to plug Dr. Suji Gage uh, here. She that's also a podcast that she does as well. Yeah. Uh, and it's it's fantastic. Uh, the book is very, very factual. Uh, she does a really good job. She's also really well uh, spoken about addiction in general. Uh, at the end of the book, she does a great um, kind of chapter on addiction and kind of summarizes uh, a lot of talking points, a lot of misperceptions. That book is just fantastic for anybody. You know, she covers a wide range of substances, what they are, what they do, short-term, long-term health effects, what we know, 
um, myths about them. There's two, there's sections on cigarettes and e-cigarettes in that book. Um, that's just a really, we need more of that, that approach, that evidence-based here's really what it is. Uh, you know, what we know long-term, short-term actual evidence, safer use, you know, acknowledging that, you know, acknowledging people's autonomy, that no matter how much we push back and we say, you know, don't do drugs and we pull the Nancy Reagan card, just say no, no matter how much we do that campaign and we rinse and repeat it, it doesn't work. It, it just doesn't apply to the real world and people's lives and their challenges and the way that they cope and their mental health and their trauma, those things, that approach doesn't work in a world where drugs are available and they exist. And that we're not going to eliminate. I think 50 years of the war on drugs has shown us that drugs are not leaving our society. They're not leaving our, our, you know, our reality. People are going to use them. Things like that, education like that, that shows people and teaches people based on real evidence, what we really know and how to do these things safer and where the real harms come from and identifying those and trying to minimize those. That's, that's the most realistic, pragmatic approach that we can take to almost anything in our lives, especially substances. Yeah. That's my rant for the day. Sorry. <laughs> that's, that's my rant. I have nothing to add to that. <laughs> yeah, that's that's what I've got on on the topic of just say why to drugs. I'll just read the book though. To everybody out there, if you're curious, read the book. It really is a fantastic book. Somebody was actually talking to me earlier this morning about GHB, and that was my first go-to. I just pulled that off the shelf uh, just so I could, you know, kind of re re go over some things with myself, some things that I had forgotten about GHB, so I could talk to uh, this person a little better about it. Yeah, yeah, it's a great resource for anybody. Just say why to drugs from Dr. Susie Gage. And I cannot remember the other guy's name uh, who's with her on the podcast, Scroobius Pip yeah. or something like that. That's Scroobius Pip. Uh, it really forward. is a fantastic and fun and really informative, insightful podcast uh, for anybody who hasn't listened to that yet. So while you're here uh, tuning into this, go, go tune into that too, because it's fantastic. Okay, that's it. That's, that's, all, I've, that's all I've got. <laughs> that works. But, uh, yeah. Awesome. All right. Uh, so I think, I think that's it for you and me this week. Uh, we spent a lot of time going off the rails, but all very relevant, good, good stuff. Um, any, any closing thoughts for people this week, Alex, anything you want to just, you know, reiterate, get out there. There is still the, the national call to action for the vape mail ban. So if anybody has not gone and submitted uh, your commentary to USPS and to Congress, that call to action is still very much alive. Um, please try to submit those by the 21st. Uh, they, what was it? The 22nd by like end of work day. They're really due by, but it's uh, it'll be like everything else. Federal comment stuff. 11:59 on March 22nd is the is the deadline. Yeah. So try to get them in by the 21st, you know, uh, leave yourself a little breathing room. Um, and then obviously all of the, uh, all the other calls to action and stuff that you and I went through today. Yeah. And I, I will say, um, uh, back to the, the USPS comment. Um, one of the things that I think we, we had a, a webinar about this last week. Um, one of the things that, uh, you know, people should, should be mindful of is, um, you know, when we talk about a shipping ban, people automatically think, oh, I'm not going to have it delivered to my door. Well, this goes much further than that. And 
um, there is a need to express concern about vape shops being able to get these products. Um, business to business shipping is uh, definitely on the table for the private carriers. Um, the USPS, I think, uh, needs some encouragement to make sure the B2B shipping is still an option. Um, so any concerns you have about your preferred vape shop um, being able to get the products that you enjoy, um, include those in your comments. This does not just affect people who rely on vape mail. Um, it, it affects the businesses and, and B2B shipping for sure. So keep that in mind when you're writing your comments. All right. Fantastic. Cool. All right. I don't know how else to say cool. Anyways, cool. that's, I think, cool. <laughs> cool. <laughs> All right. That's where we're going to wrap it up this week. Everybody, thanks for tuning in. Uh, as always, stay safe out there. Take care of each other. Be excellent to each other. Uh, make sure that you tune in every week, Monday, right here on SoundCloud or wherever you prefer to listen to your podcast. We're all over the place. Make sure that you've joined uh, and become a member of CASA over at CASA.org. And uh, until next time, I think, I think that's it. I think we're out of here. We're out of here. Thanks, everyone. All right, we're out of here. Take care, everybody.